Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned-out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Everyone, welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, editorial director, here with Mara Levinsky, senior editor. Hi, everyone. Mara, it's time for February sweep stories, and we have a big preview in our new issue. So, on Bold and Beautiful, the secret that Brooke and Deacon kissed on New Year's Eve is poised to come out, and Carter will find himself even more drawn to Paris. On Days of Our Lives, Xander will propose to Gwen, unaware that Sarah is being held captive, and Sierra and Ben will worry anew that the devil still wants their unborn baby. Over at General Hospital, Maxie and Brooklyn will work to keep the baby Bailey secret from being exposed and Carly and Sonny's marriage hangs in the balance. And finally, on Young and the Restless, Victor is determined to uncover the truth about Adam and a medical issue with Dominic will challenge Abby and Devon's parenting arrangement. So basically, there's going to be a lot to keep us occupied next month for sure. Yes, indeed. And just with what lies ahead in this week coming up on screen, I think it's clear that the shows are putting the pedal to the metal, as the saying goes. For instance, we're going to see a big Adam and Victor clash on YNR as Adam reacts to Victoria's purchase of Newman Media. Some big trouble for GH's Tracy at the vow renewal of Ned and Olivia. And on days, we'll see Lonnie come face to face with her father, TR, played by All My Children along William Christian. He was Derek on AMC, who was a very good guy. TR, maybe not so much. Uh, so I'm excited about that casting and to see Bill take on a different kind of character. Oh, me too. I mean, even from just like the little bit we've seen this week, I think he is going to be so great in this role and a great addition to the show. I think there's a lot of opportunity to play there because we really don't know that much about even Lonnie's past before she came to Salem. Obviously, Paulina is a very blank slate. So just kind of building up that family, I think, will be um, really rewarding for fans who have especially followed Lonnie's journey. So I'm super excited to see what happens there. And also what I think is so great about casting him is that, first of all, like I covered all my children back in the mid-90s. You know, there are just so many actors and actresses who hold very dear places in our hearts from being on those New York shows that we can't see anymore. And I mean, obviously even Los Angeles ones too, but just the idea that there are people out there who we're familiar with, it really feels like kind of a homecoming 
coming. And just seeing them again reminds you of all those great times from Soap's past. It's great because he is also our guest today, so we're going to get some awesome stories from him. But that's not the only day's news to talk about. There is one star marking a very big milestone, and you got to speak to him for it. I sure did. We are talking about Wally Kurth, who made his day's debut 35 years ago this week as Justin Kariakis. The trajectory of Wally's daytime career is super interesting because he was on days for four years the first time around, then left and wound up on GH playing Ned, the son of Tracy, played by Jane Elliott, who had been his lover on days when she played Angelica. He was on GH for many years, then left that show as well. And then in 2009, he was called back to days duty. And a few years later, ditto GH came calling and he has uh, juggled both shows consistently pretty much ever since. And even though he's been doing that for so many years, I get the sense that there is a part of him that can't even believe how lucky he is to have two important roles on two of the remaining four shows. I always love talking to Wally about his entry into daytime because he describes it as uh, like being shot out of a cannon. He became so popular so fast and he told me what an adjustment it was suddenly having a fan club and all, you know, all sorts of things that, that came with the territory of daytime stardom that, as he put it, they don't teach you in acting school. But Wally is a guy who I think, uh, you know, whether he's on the front burner or not, fans are always happy to see on their screens and both shows are very lucky to have him. Here, here. And I feel like on a personal note, we could both say that we love talking to Wally because he is just so great in so many ways. And yeah. so just to see him on both shows still is awesome. Um, now, our guest today, I mentioned, has made his day's debut this week, but all my children fans know him well. It's William Christian, who is back in daytime. So let's catch up and see how he's doing. Hi, William. Hi, Steph. Hi, Mara. Well, this is such perfect timing to be talking to you today. So thank you for having the time. You just made your day's debut, and we will get to all of that. But we're going to start in the beginning. You are a native of Washington, D.C. So tell us about your family and your childhood there. Well, my goodness, you are going way back. Uh, boy, and you know, like I said, I wish I could have uh, sound bites. But, you know, I was the black sheep in a black family. So, <laughs> no, um, Washington, D.C. Yeah, that's my hometown. Um, I, I, I was born and raised there. I like to say I grew up in New York City in my 20s, but um, <laughs> this is how I, I can tell you how I got into show business. <laughs> um, you know, when I was in kindergarten, they had, uh, I went to a Catholic school, St. Francis de Sales Elementary School on Rhode Island Avenue in Northeast Washington, D.C., and um, anyway, so after kindergarten, they had graduation, kindergarten graduations. You wear these caps and your gowns and you're like, you know, Ewoks walking around and little, you know, um, um, and they had a little performance and they gave me two sticks and they played some music, people, you know, a record or something or other. And I was hitting the sticks like this. And then after all, the, you know, the whole the whole class. Uh, and after it was done, people clapped and I was like, huh, <laughs> cool. But you know, then that all left me. And then somewhere along the way, um, they had this thing called uh, the CYO play competitions, Catholic youth organization play competitions, uh, in the diocese is what they called, you know, the Catholic, um, groups of schools. Uh, I don't even know how to describe a diocese. I guess it's like a, it's like a, um, award in new orleans or something like that anyway so um they had these play competitions well somebody said bill would be good for this play put him in i'd never done a play before and i anyway um i had one line 
it was a part of a plaza suite, Neil Simon's plaza suite. And I came in and I said, Mimsy, this is Borden. Cool it. And uh, people clap. And that was, you know, <laughs> it saved the wedding for this, you know, this particular play. And uh, so uh, the theme here, I guess, is a, people, a lot of people clapping. And then I went <laughs> to high school. And at my high school, Archbishop Carroll, John, Archbishop John Carroll High School on Harewood Road, 4300 Harewood Road. I think that was the address. They had a good theater. It was a theater, and and but I like sports too. So they had a good, you know, they had a good sports program and good theater. Um, and so Rick Scannon was the um, play director, you know, director of plays and musicals and things. And uh, I, I tried out for a couple of plays, and I got into one or two of them. It was horrible because I couldn't, you know, there were lines and there were, you know, you had to memorize them and then you had to go out in front of people. And, but it was fun, you know, because it was hanging out with people. And that's when the, it was an all boys school and I did crew at first um, because girls came from different schools to be in these plays. There were girls involved. <laughs> so I wanted to be involved because I was painfully shy. Um, where that was concerned. So that's how that all started. I did plays with, you know, in high school and two things that happened. That play, CYO play, there was just these two women, Mary Jo Yancey and another woman, Betty, I can't remember her last name, um, who, by the way, I talked to maybe a year ago because I even looked them up because I wanted to thank them for, for, for this, you know, for this. Wow. Um, so they were went to the uni, uh, university down the way, Catholic University of America. <laughs> went to Catholic schools for 16 years of my life. Anyway, um, college included, you know. So I went to the Catholic University of America because they had a great theater department at the time. Susan Sarandon came from that theater department, as a matter of fact. And I did cruise, and I did plays there, and I was on the main stage, and I was in the black box, and... I didn't do a lot of them because I never really considered myself. I didn't know what that this acting thing was a mystery to me. You know, people seem they went on, they seemed to know what they were doing all the time. And I was like, <laughs> I was like scratching my head. What are you, how do you do this? And I was taking, you know, class and people in the acting class. But I met this woman, Toby Orenstein. She was my, I believe, sophomore uh, acting teacher, Toby. They brought her in uh, as a new teacher. And to Toby and I um, clicked. You know, Toby liked me. This is what happens in life. You know, when somebody just likes a person and then they, they, they give them, I don't know, inspiration and they give them chances. Well, Toby, uh, somewhere along the way, had a school in Columbia, Maryland, the, uh, and it was called the Columbia School for Theatrical Arts. Um, Ed, Edward Norton went there at, at some point, and so did, um, oh, my God, what is her name? She was in Rent. Anyway, um, there's a bunch of people. A lot of Broadway people came out of that, you know, people, friends of mine and things. Uh, but I, you know, sh I, I didn't go to that school, but she put me in a play, Godspell. She put me in Godspell. And, um, and then she opened a theater. She opened her own theater in Columbia, Maryland called Toby's. And, um, and I started, you know, I just, I did shows and I was working with her and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and Toby really kind of inspired me. You know, we're still friends. I call Toby all the time. She's, you know, I don't want to give her age, but she's you know, older than me and I'm an old man. And um, Catholic U had their own equity theater company, Alney Theater, uh, connected to them. 
and I worked at Alney. I got my equity card in Alney in 1981, I want to say, um, doing a play where I had, again, one line that I said over and over and over again. But there were these great guys in the play. It was a pretty much male cast with one woman in it, army kind of a play. Um, a, I can't remember. What was it? Um, all of a sudden, it just went out of my head. That's what happens with age, you know. Um, and that's where I got my equity card. I got my SAG and after cards all in Washington, D.C., I did this summer summer theater in Y Mills, Maryland. Again, Toby, she did this. She did, I was tech director out at that theater, technical director, a bad technical director, by the way. But I was the technical director. But I also did Godspell out there too. And then I thought, you know what? I want to make some money now. <laughs> you know, this theater stuff is great. So I got a job. I got a job on Capitol Hill. So I worked for three years in Capitol Hill in an office called Records and Records Records and Registration that monitored campaign and lobby activity along with the Federal Election Commission. And that um, was a awesome. I had a great time. Where I, you know, I've always been very lucky of uh, landing in places where uh, the people in it were all kind of at the same place at the same time. So I was always lucky of finding places like at theater or something like that or in this place, in this job and other jobs, too, that um, – you know, I, I'm still friends with people from, from that was 19, I can't even tell you, 1970, whatever it was, uh, 1980, 79 through 1983, you know, before I moved to New York. So you did make the move to New York and uh, I assume started pursuing television work uh, along with uh, theater work and so forth. And you did in 1985, I believe, make your primetime debut on The Cosby Show. What what was that like for you to land that first gig on such a show, you know, a show that was so beloved and high profile at the time? It was great because at the time, you know, black people were not prominent in that way on television. You know, Bill Cosby had done I Spy and Diane Carroll had done uh, Julia. And there was maybe, you know, some other thing, <laughs> you know, some other shows that, that were, were, were short movies that maybe we watched as kids, Amos and Andy or something like that. But they were sort of like, you know, um, uh, poo-pooed by the NAACP or some, you know, but um, so the Cosby show was huge, especially not only was it a, a primetime television show, it was the number one time, you know, television show at the time. And here, well, I guess it wasn't at the time because this was the first season that I was on. It became the number one television show. But, you know, I got to meet the man, Bill Cosby, who, you know, I, um, you know, he, we auditioned for him, and I remember sitting up at his office, and I'm thinking, he's really different than the funny guy you see of it, because you know, he's kind of like the boss, you know, with his cigar and his cup, you know, his cup of um, uh, iced coffee, and, and he told me, this is the one thing, I, I'll never forget, he says, don't try to be funny. The lines are funny. Don't try to be funny. <laughs> I said, all right, boss. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Um, well, you started working in daytime in 1990. I believe you had a short-term role as Dr. Marshall Reed on Another World before All My Children. Is that correct? That is correct. So I, tell us I'm about gonna, that experience. Well, I'm going to kind of piggyback into it. Uh, okay. I was doing uh, un, extras and under fives. You know, that's how you start out, right? And uh, so I was doing that, I was extras and under fives. And I remember I met a woman, Sharon Washington, who's a, a friend of mine, you know, now. And Sharon is, um, we were sitting there, Sharon says, you know what? I am so tired of doing this stuff. I want to, she says, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to go to Yale. 
I'm going to apply and go to Yale. I'm going to apply and go to Yale. And she did. She went to Yale and, and now she works all the time. Uh, look her up. She's a fabulous. She's fabulous. And, um, and I said, you know what? I'm tired of doing this too. And somebody had said, if, you know, if you, if you, if you don't want to do that, but it was, it says, they're going to always see you as that if you don't see yourself as something else. And I really wanted to be something else. And so, um, I wanted to speak. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to do the extra stuff. So they started giving me under fives. So then I thought, you know what? I want to speak more. So somehow I got to do some day players, right? And this is what Marshall Reed was. And, um, but he was a recurring day player, which was kind of cool. And he was supposed to be the foil, not the foil, but the, um, you know, the triangle sort of with uh, Clayton, Clayton Prince and Casey Lemons, the, you know, now the director Casey Lemons. And, um, and that's what I was, you know, I was like, um, Clayton played the, uh, street smart, you know, kind of, uh, um, sort of what they had in those days in daytime television, you know, they, <laughs> they always had the street smart thuggish good with a good heart, you know, black kid, you know, and he played that and I was the doctor, you know, it was a straight lace, clean cut guy. And, you know, and she was supposed to make her choice between the two of us, you know, or whatever. But it was great. I, I, I love, you know, it was, I got a chance to see how it was to work every day, not every day, but more often than, um, you know, you come in for a day or something. And uh, I just remember one time I was a, a doctor and I had to say something that I could not memorize this thing. <laughs> a bolus of epi for something and something. And, you know, and finally, after about, I don't know how many takes, the director says, let's just cut that line. <laughs> but it wasn't that bad because there was another woman on there who's a big Broadway act, uh, actor. I won't tell, say her name because she's great. She's great. But on the show, I just remember she was having a difficult day trying to remember her, her you know, stuff. And I go, well, see, it happens to even great people, you know. <sighs> it was a great, you know, stage actor. Well, that same year, uh, daytime fortunes uh, skyrocketed just a, just a wee bit. You made your Pine Valley debut in a much more significant role, that of Derek Fry on All My Children. So tell us your All My Children casting story. Well, I'm going to go back to track a little bit on this one, too. When I first came to New York, and I, um, they used to do these things called, um, they had these workshops, you know, uh, actor workshops that uh, casting directors or agents would come to, and you'd you know, pay a certain amount of money and you uh, do your monologue or whatever it is, they, you know, a commercial, whatever it was. And, um, and I did this uh, at this actors information project, AIP, where I was in, it was an actors network that I belonged to. And, um, and I met this woman, Stacy Rader. She was, uh, her mother was an agent, Honey Rader. And uh, Stacy took a liking to me and, and um, she introduced me to her mom and uh, that was my, she became my first agent. But before all that happened, Stacy told Joan Dincheco, who was the casting director at All My Children, about me. And Joan had me in and I did my first day player at All My Children, where I was doing, you know, um, extras and under fives at some point. But, and so I got to do my first day player there. And, um, and I had fun. It was great. Um, and then later on, she had me in, she said, she uh, later on, she liked my work. So she had me in to see if to audition for Jesse's older brother. Um, but um, I'm not older than Jesse. 
I wasn't, you know, or Darnell. Darnell and I are exactly the same age, actually. Um, but I, I look, I played younger in those days. In fact, you know, Tanya, Tanya Pingens played my older sister. I am a lot of, I'm a lot of years older than Tanya, but you know, she, you know, uh, on all my children. But, uh, but Joan said, and I love Joan, uh, the late Joan Dincheco. I said, um, she said, I'll remember you. You know, I'll remember you. Nice. You were nice. And I said, sure. You know, this is what actors say. I've been in theater long enough to know that, you know, this is what uh, casting directors say. So, but sure enough, seven years later, she remembered me and she called me and she said, hey, would you like to come in and audition for a day player? Uh, I'm like, sure, of course. Uh, so I came in and I auditioned. And I came in and there were these two other male actors there, um, but they were white. <laughs> but I knew it was a cop role. And I said, okay, so we're playing a cop, you know. And and in those days, I, they used to have this thing called uh, diversity casting, and they would I, they would bring people in even if they weren't going to use them because they had to tell the union, well, we auditioned, you know, people. So I thought, okay, I'm part of that, whatever. So I won the audition, and I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. And um, so it was a day player. This guy's name was Ricky um, Rick Fry, Ricky Fry, and um, and um, I came had these scenes. And the scenes were with James Kybert, and um, I think they were just James. I don't think Sherry, no, Sherry wasn't there. It was just James. And James said to me, he said the most important thing that I could ever hear. James is an actor that comes out of the theater world, too. He was studying with Wynne Hanman, and I, who had wanted to study with Wynne Hanman at some point in time, was studying with My Michael Howard. And these are two venerable uh, um, theater, theater acting teachers. And so, you know, and I'd been doing theater. And James said to me what any actor would like to hear. He said, let's have a, uh, and he was already on the show. So he was, he was sanctioning me. He said, Let, okay, let's play. Let's have some fun with these scenes. That was the best thing that anybody could have ever said. Because we played. We had a great time doing these scenes. It came out, they came out wonderful. And they had Ricky Fry back. And then they had Ricky Fry back again. And then they thought, well, wait a minute, Angie, you know, needs um, uh, a love interest because Jesse's been killed or whatever, you know, and tragically in the line of duty, <laughs> right? Tragically in the line of duty, and we, and um, Sandra Quarterman was playing um, Angie at the time. Uh, um, Debbie Morgan had moved on to do film and other things, I think, and so they tested. They were going to do. Um, test them for the role. You know, I'm like, they're going to test the role. I already have the role. Why are they going to test the role? So then I thought, okay, they're going to bring in some taller and a good looking, better looking man than me. Cause you know, cause I'm a self hater. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, but here's the thing I had been coming in doing this thing and they'd been putting cost, uh, wardrobe on me. And, um, and I played a lot of sports in those days and I was coming back from, and I played in the Broadway, I think at that time I was playing that day or something in the Broadway show league, softball league. And, um, and I was coming from a game or something. So I had my, you know, uh, softball clothes on and I man thinking they're going to give me a wardrobe cause that's what they do. They give Derek, I mean, Ricky wardrobe. Um, and, uh, but that was not the case. So I'm, I'm doing this scene uh, with Sandra in my sweaty, dirty, you know, clothes, and I'm thinking, okay, 
not going to be good. But then I won that role too, I guess, and um, it was meant to be, and um, and that's where it went from there. Well, James was one of the people who you worked with a lot in your early days in Pine Valley. Uh, you were both on the case when Billy Clyde Tuggle kidnapped Dixie, a very memorable storyline. So what comes to mind when you think of your early days on All My Children? A lot of things come to mind. First of all, you mentioned Billy Clyde Tuggle, and I think about uh, Matthew Coles and you know, and, um, you know, he, and he died young. So mm -hmm. I think about that. Um, Baranski, um, Christine Baranski was married to Christine Baranski. And, uh, so I think about that and I think about how much I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun, but you know, this is 19, what was it? 1990, 1991. There again, weren't a lot of black people doing television like this. Daytime was huge in those days, you know, uh, they didn't have all the television shows that they did have. They have now in prime time, uh, where uh, African Americans are featured prominently. Um, <clears throat> so, <laughs> I just got scared for a second. I thought, are they trying to are they trying to do something with me and Dixie? And my friends would say, don't you don't want to get matched up with somebody named Dixie because they were <laughs> so faster than you know. So I thought about that, and they weren't trying to match, you know, but um, we became, we were supposed to be friends, all of us, you know, uh, um, Tad and, and um, you know, Dixie, everybody was, supposed, and I was supposed to have been Jesse's uh, best friend at some point in time. So I, you know, that all that stuff comes to mind, just learning, just learning how to be on television, just learning how to be, um, Susan Lucci was great. She came up to me one time in the hallway when I was walking, she says, you know, you're doing a really great job. And so I got an, you know, that was my imprimatur, you know, Susan Lucci was like, well, she just, you know, gave me a stamp. So I would, and this is over time now, I would watch Susan do things with, with um, fans. And Susan was, this, it was, I, it's extraordinary. I don't know how she did this. I never learned how to do this. I'm all in, penny for a penny, in for a penny, in for a pound. But Susan would somehow be gracious enough to let people in and then stop it right there. You know, it's like, okay, come up to the door, but right there. And, but not in a, in a great way, you know, in a, such a lovely way that fans were, uh, uh, they felt great, you know, about it anytime they met her and um, they were satisfied. I never learned how to do that. Uh, they were obviously, like, come on in or just stay away, one or the other, you know. I was, <laughs> so I was trying to learn how to navigate that because they're the life's blood of, you know, what you do. Uh, I always had this funny thing about, um, you know, I, actors need their privacy, uh, but we're commercial actors. You know, we do, we work for a living uh, with money. <laughs> you know, people pay us money. So I always think when people, do, you know, treat, I wasn't sometimes good with fans because you're sitting on the stuff, you're standing on the subway platform and some guy comes up to you in the middle of the night, you know, you're like, what was this guy, you know, or whatever uh, in New York. But, um, but I think, you know, I, I, over the years, I, I tried to be better um, because I've done, you know, if you don't want to be recognized, I can tell you, go do a play someplace. Nobody will ever, <laughs> you'll be working as an actor. You'll have a great time. It'll be very rewarding because working on a play is very rewarding. You know, you get to actually work on a character for a long period of time, but nobody will ever know you. This goes, you know, it goes with the territory. It's the job. You know, <laughs> Your fans are 
you know, your life's blood in some way. If they stop coming, then, you know, you will be doing a play. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of someone who's been quite successful doing plays, Miss Tanya Pinkins, as you mentioned, played your sister on the show, Livia. And uh, there were a few Terrences, but the longest running Terrence was Dondre T. Whitfield, who's also been super successful. Uh, What are your memories of working with the two of them on the Fry family? We were like a family. We all, you know, kind of gravitated toward each other. And um, again, Tanya had been around the block a few times. So I was kind of like, Tanya knows what you're doing. I better, you know. (laughs) But, you know, I'd been on the show for a while, so they were building this around me. So I had a a certain confidence. And I, but I, you know, but I I admire theater actors, you know, because this is my background. This is where I come from. You know, I know what that's all about. And uh, Dondre and I, (laughs) How do I, I loved all these people. I love all these people. Okay, this is what I and what I'm trying to say is that when Richard Lawson came on the show, <laughs> he was kind of like a hub. Okay, everybody went toward Richard because I loved Richard's work before he came on, and I was like, wow. So Richard, when Richard Richard played golf, so I got golf clubs and played golf. Dontre got golf clubs and played started playing golf. We all went to play golf with Richard. Richard had a certain type of watch. We all bought Richard's watch, you know, we, um, Richard, we have, you know, we'd go get haircuts, but Richard have hair people in and manicure people. We'd have those people. We did Richard stuff, whatever Richard did, we wanted to do. And as Sherry once said, if Richard, if you don't, if Richard Lawson doesn't know you, you aren't, you don't get, you're not known (laughs) because his phone book when you had phone books was this thick, you know, he knew everybody. I remember being in an audition with Richard out here in California, and we were up for something with Tyler, Tyler Perry, and he was in the room. And I saw, you know, Richard, I, saw, I was hanging out with Richard. And then afterwards, somebody came out of the room after he had gone in, and they started talking to him. I went, well, I guess I don't have this job because everybody <laughs> knows Richard. I don't think he got the job either, but, but everybody, I think everybody knows Richard Lawson, and he is, he is, he's a ladies' man and a man's man all at the same time. And so... So that's what I remember of us being, you know, really, when he came on, it kind of solidified this whole family uh, thing after Sandra had left, you know, Sandra Quarterman. Yeah. I had a great time with, by the way, because she's a Juilliard theater trained actor and we would work on scenes. That's why I think those scenes with Sandra were, I think, some of really great scenes because uh, we worked, we worked on them, you know, because Sandra was taking care of her younger brother at the time i think her parents had died or something and she is she you know she was responsible for somebody else unlike me who you know i'm always living in some kind of fantasy peter pan land (laughs) now i have children i'm married you know i'm 115 years old (laughs) it's all different now all different now it's all downhill from here i don't say that it seems like downhill is kind of easy didn't it (laughs) Um, well, you mentioned Sherry, who is Sherry Headley of Coming to America fame. She yeah. played Mimi, who Derek married. Um, so tell us about working opposite her. Sarah, Sherry and I hated each other. From the, I mean, there was something uncomfortable about us in the beginning. <laughs> you know, we just there was something that was very uncomfortable about us. And then one day it came to a head. We were having a three-legged race on the show and I pulled her the wrong way or something. She hit me. <laughs> and then we, and after that, we became really good. I love Sherry Headley. Uh, we still are friends, you know, Sherry lives, doesn't live in 
you know, she lives someplace else now. And, um, but we talk and, um, you know, when we, when we did live in town, we would get together. Uh, so it was just like a soap opera, you know, they hate each other until, you know, some tension breaks and then. It's always the three-legged race that gets you over that. Always. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we were like those people in there. We were like, although, you know, I came, became the friend zone, you know, it was in the friend zone, which you know, <laughs> and I was like, well, you're like my brother, you know, she was, but, uh, but so we were like, really, I, I, she taught me, I've written on the Facebook thing, something, but at the time she taught me some things about myself that I never knew or never wanted to acknowledge. And, you know, it was, um, I love her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, mean, I, I love her, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, these people, I love them. I, I'm sorry. When I say that, I say, I, I like, a, I love a lot of people and I do love a lot of people. I use that word. I am not afraid to tell you, I love you, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, you love pizza, you love the new car, you love, your mom, <laughs> you, love your, you know, so they're different types, but I love her. Um, so, uh, in your entrance interview with Top Opera Digest about your current day's gig, you talked about you talked about uh, wanting to sort of channel and emulate David Canary and his professionalism. I'd love to hear about your experience of David Canary and why you look up to him in that way. Well, like I told Janet, I was just like you know, David was what my first year there. You know, I was nominated for um, a daytime Emmy for best supporting actor, and there was a tradition of taking going out all the nominees going out to dinner. Well, I was new and, you know, and David and they invited me and David said, don't worry about it. I'll, cause they were going to La Bernardin or someplace, some, wow. some fancy, <laughs> yeah, you know, and he said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. And he did. He took care of me and my date, you know, and maybe even my mom, I don't even remember. <laughs> you know, that's so that started, that started it, you know, right there. I go, well, that was really nice. I don't even think I thanked him enough, you know, um, but later on, as I got to work with David, he would say things to me that were helpful to me. And I would watch him interact with other people. They'd been around the block. You know, David Canary has been around the block a few times. But he couldn't have been nicer. He didn't direct people. You know, he, didn't, he was just an actor's actor, you know. And I would watch him when other people were, you know, fuming and fussing. And, and he would just be, okay, you know, whatever. Maybe we'll do it your way. You know, whatever it was. And... He was so professional that I just wanted to be like that. I wanted to be, I I didn't want to be the asshole. So that's what I, you know, so when I later on, and this playing a character who may may be unsavory, maybe, I won't say, but he may have some dark past. Well, we know he has a dark past. Um, I watched David, a, a good guy, play this guy, this other guy that you, you know, wouldn't know. So I wanted to be like that. You know, you had no idea. And when when Albert L.R. pitched this job to me, he said, you know, he's a guy like you. You know, you're, you know, you're um, affable and everything like that. You, uh, when you come in and, you know, don't, you're, 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 he's that guy. And maybe he has some other qualities. And I had (laughs) played, uh, played, um, a minion, a um, IS, uh, ISA agent. Is that what it is? ISA? Yeah. ISA. Uh, IPO I, you know, <laughs> agent. And, you know, they had seen me work before on days as a maybe less than savory character. So they saw, I guess, I had that quality as one of my, as uh, a guy on all my children used to say, um, 
Jed Dixon, who played Officer Stroop, is a funny man. He used to say, he used to call me his affable American friend, Bill Christian. Um, <laughs> so I had that going on, but I could also do this other thing. And I, you know, so um, that's what I wanted to, I wanted to do, do what David did. David, mm-hmm. yeah, he's a good guy. He's just a really a good man. And I, I really, it, you know, just liked working around him. I always liked being around him on, on you know, set. Well, after 15 years on All My Children, you left, your role was recast. So what prompted that move? Well, I had, you know, at some point in time, I was on the show reciting exposition. You know, hey, you know, I was the guy that came in. This is what happened last week. And, you know, or this is what happened yesterday or in the scene before that. And blah, 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 blah. Those were my, this is what I was saying. You know, I didn't. And, or I was going to say, and this is what's going to happen. Blah, 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 blah. You know, so I got a little bit old that there was nothing really, because I wasn't putting as much of myself in it as maybe I could. It was fun because the new people were fun. They had some really great new people. You know, that I was and, – and the great thing about Derek Fry is that he interacted with everybody on the, on the show. That was the beauty of that role. You got to be around everybody on the show. So, you, you know, you knew all the actors, you know. So they had some great new people on there, you know, Rebecca Buttock and uh, Alicia Minshew and, 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 and Terry Ivins and, you know, all these people that were, you know, infusing the show. So there were all these great people, but they were, you know, I just wasn't being a part of it. So I had moved, I picked myself up and I moved to California in 19, in 2000. Mm-hmm. In okay. 2000. And then I met, you know, the woman who's going to be my wife, ended up being my wife. And then we had, um, we were going to have our first uh, child in 2005. So around that time, I, we were like, you know, what? I was going back and forth and back and forth for the first five years of living out in California. And um, it, some, you know, when you go away and you come, I don't know how people do it all the time, doing it right now, as a matter of fact, from Boston to California. but. Um, and I'd come back home and says, you know, my wife and I'm with my, yeah, it's like, who are you? Who are you? What are we doing? You know, like, so when we were going to have our first son, our first child, who happened to be a son, we have two boys, uh, we decided, you know what, well, we don't need to do this anymore. We don't have to keep going back and forth. Why don't you stick out here and see what you can find out here and you know, do that. So that's what prompted that, mo- that leaving of that. And um, yeah. And, you know, even the first time when I, you know, uh, when I went to them and said, look, I wanted to do other things. So I went to them and I said, at some point earlier on, I says, look, I want to, I don't, I don't, I want to get off contract, but I wanted to, I'm not going to be, I'm not, I'm going to still be in New York. So if you want to use me as Derek, that's fine. And they did. So, so I went off contract. I became, you know, and I stayed there as Derek, but then I also was leaving and they kept me. And they, um, at some point in time, they were really very flexible, and they even they even started flying me back, you know, to do it, uh, which was very generous and nice of them, um, because it was my choice to move. But um, they seemed to like the character, mm-hmm. and then some, you know, and then another man, Jerome Preston Bates, came on. He's a fine, fine actor, New York actor that I always used to look up to when I first moved to uh, New York. And then um, after that, it was um, Charles Parnell. And I saw him on something. I thought, ooh, he's tall and good looking. Of course they had him. He's really good. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, 
So we were all very, all three of us were really kind of different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're the Derek of my heart, though. Oh, yeah. um, thank you. So, so um, skipping ahead a bit, you did move to Boston. What, what yeah. prompted that fairly big change? Well, my wife works in um, classical music and uh, concert music. And uh, she was, we, when we met each other, we were pretty much at the same level, you know, we were at the same level in our, I'm a journeyman actor, all right? And she was working at the uh, LA Philharmonic, Los Angeles Philharmonic. And um, and we were making kind of similar money and all that other, we were like equals, you know, on, on a lot of, in a lot of different ways. Somehow though, you know, as an actor, you just go like this and she was going like that. I'm going, well, you can't see this on, she, I'm going down and she's going up and I'm like, and she's like, well, you know, um, and so she's moving up the, from, you know, whatever she was when I met her general manager to something else. So finally she was the, um, COO and, uh, acting sometimes, uh, CEO of the Los Angeles Philharmonic when the CEOs would leave there twice, uh, that happened. And, um, and she was the COO and the president of the Hollywood Bowl. And um, wow, yeah, there were it's you know impressive. It was very impressive, and it was a lot of fun to be at the Hollywood Bowl. Let me tell you, I bet I have seen every act ever, you know, a few times. I have met every diva there has ever been. I've ever seen. I've seen every diva there as you know Donna Summer, Cher. So it's fun. That was fun. But uh, the Boston Symphony Orchestra is the L.A. Philharmonic and the Boston Symphony Orchestra are the two largest orchestras um, in the country um, by way of endowment. <clears throat> and um, uh, and they, so they're kind of similar in that way. And Gail, who ran at some point um, as an acting CEO, but also ran the Hollywood Bowl permanent, you know, permanently because the Hollywood Bowl is an umbrella. Uh, um, I mean, the LA Philharmonic is an umbrella to the Hollywood Bowl, which is how the LA Philharmonic makes a lot of their money. It's a cash cow. I've seen them there. Yeah, right, right. So, but those outside acts pay for, you know, the orchestra to be there, you know, and to be in Disney Hall and all that other stuff, you know, it's a a good, good deal. And they have a good deal with the county to, um, have that space. So they, Boston Symphony Orchestra came courting my wife um, and other people had come and asked her about uh, other job, you know, taking over something. But my wife is Southern California native. Her, her family lives there. Her sons were born there. She loves her, you know, she loved her job um, up to a point anyway. And, um, but the Boston Symphony Orchestra um, courted her like a like a football player, you know, like a sports uh, <laughs> star, you know, which no one else had ever done. And and you know, any other interview she went to, I guess the people could tell she is not leaving that orchestra <laughs> for this, you know. For but the but the Boston, like I said, they're comparable in their endowment, their large endowments, and um, and since they they were and they you know they flew us out and. The whole family, bring the family out and check out. And we came out, you know, in February, last February, I think it was, in the snow and everything. And uh, we, you know, she still loved it and um, decided to accept their offer of the job. And um, so she's the CEO of the Boston Symphony Orchestra. 
And, you know, I, I think it was, that that was easy, you know, either stay there and be a journeyman actor in L.A. or just let's move the family and do, you know, the family business. This is the family. Arts is the family business. And my kids were doing plays and things like that at the time before the pandemic. Now they don't care what they're doing, a lot of other things. But um, that's how we ended up in Boston. Never thought, you know, I used to visit Boston when I was younger. I used to love going there because I love seafood. But I never, you know, I didn't really think I'd live there. In fact, I thought I loved, I loved living in, in west of the Rockies. I loved everything. You can wear your cowboy hat and cowboy boots in L.A. and nobody really kind of looks at you funny, you know, because everybody's kind of a little bit off kilter, you know, in L.A. area. You can, you know, it's, I, I just loved the weather, everybody, you know, I was out shoveling snow yesterday before I got on the plane to come out of here to Burbank. Um, anyway, so that's why we moved to Boston. Well, of course, I Leave Ca- loved living there too, by the way. Yeah. Well, of course, leave California and then you get a job there. So Days of Our Lives right. comes calling. Um, yeah. You mentioned you already did a stint there, but now they want to see if you want to play a new character named T.R. Coates. What was your reaction? Well, I said, you know, I said to my wife, you know, when Albert pitched it, I said, oh, it's an awesome character. He says, and for daytime, it's an awesome character. I mean, Mike, it's it's the male equivalent of Susan Lucci. I mean, of, uh, you know, Erica Kane or something like that. Um, well, maybe not as maybe not as rich as that. But, you know, <laughs> it's a rich, juicy male daytime character, you know, and I get to play a less than savory person, which. And only in my early days in plays and on days of our lives have I, you know, gotten to play. You know, so you know maybe once in a in a, in a primetime show, but um, not usual. So uh, I said to my wife, and she said, "You should do it." I said to my kids, they said, "You should do it." You know, so I did it. I, you know, and I'm also in the last few years. Uh, I had new representation and all that, and I was all, and I was in the say yes to everything mode, kind of, you know, because uh, one of my agents said maybe it's time for you, because I was a stay-at-home dad, and I was, I did all the stuff for my kid, you know, I was a family man, I became a family man, I don't know where and when that happened, but I turned it over, you know, and I became a family man, and I was like the mom, Mr. Mom, you know, I was doing stuff with my kids and. One of my agents said, well, maybe it's time for you to do stuff for yourself. So I was a yes to everything kind of a guy. And this is where I was when Albert, you know, asked me. Mm-hmm. And Albert and I have a really long relationship to Albert Alar. We've, you know, we, we've known each other since the 1980s. We did, you know, he was an actor and we worked together. And so I've known him for a long time. And Ron, the uh, head writer, you know, he said, Ron, yeah, it's a good idea. Let's, you know. So I think I was... Uh, yeah, I th- and and the last time I worked on Days, um, they asked me too, uh, Albert. You know, I didn't go through Marnie, uh, the casting director, and so I was afraid when I first met her. I, was, I hope she doesn't hate me. I hope she doesn't hate me. She's been nothing but great every time I you know met her and talked to her anytime. So I felt comfortable coming in and mm-hmm. just doing. I was a little scared of Jack A. Harry, but you know. Because who is it? Because who is it? She's all she's awesome, right? Yeah, that's right. right. She is. Yeah. So okay, I gotta hear a Jack A. Harry story. What, what was meeting her like? What has working with her been like? Well, I mean, you're meeting 
I don't, you know, you're meeting somebody you don't know. You're meeting somebody, me, I'm meeting somebody that I used to watch on 227 and, and, you know, have seen in, in longer, what was the show she did in, uh, on tour? I can't even remember, but, you know, so she's a big, big character who she plays big characters and I don't. And so I, you know, so, but I've also had a life in daytime television. So I know, you know, my way around the block a little bit. So there was a mix of that, but, um, but you know, she does her work and she's, you know, she's on it and I do my work and we're on it. And, you know, uh, the unfortunate part of it is we can't get to, because of COVID and uh, restrictions around the studio, you know, we can't like get together in rooms and like you used to. And I mean, we could go over our stuff, but, and she had uh, a knee operation at, you know, she was, had done something twisted, done something with her knee. So she wasn't as mobile as, um, as she might've been. So I'd be sitting outside of her room somewhere across and she'd be over there. So, you know, we'd be going over lines and things like that. So I regret not having a, a, a more, uh, a bigger, um, a different, what am I trying to say? More intimate relationship, I guess, uh, you know, with her and, you know, because of restrictions and things like that. Um, but she's, you know, she's great. They love her there. They love her there. And I can see why too, you know, cause I've been now, you know, I've been watching the show, uh, since uh, I've been ca cast and I go, Oh yeah, she, they, she works really well with, um, Sal and everybody on the show. And, um, yeah, so it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. Well, what are you enjoying so far about playing this character? I don't know what I can give away, Stephanie. Um, I enjoy being the uh, um, the underbelly of this character, mm -hmm. the um, the person who is not the nice man that uh, sometimes you know people see. Mm -hmm. That's enjoyable. I hope I do it well. You know, I hope I because you know there's 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 a part of me and there's a part of me uh, who is that guy. You know, I you know I I wasn't always fixed. <laughs> I was broken too, you know, as many actors are. <laughs> well, we uh, certainly know we're going to be seeing you interacting a lot with Sal Stowers, who plays Lonnie. Yeah. What has that experience been like? Oh, I, you know, I, it's like, it's been great. I can never, I can't say anything uh, horrible. <laughs> You know, first of all, I wouldn't, but there's nothing to say, you know, except they've all been really, really great experiences. And, um, you know, the only regret is I, the intimacy with which I'm used to working with other actors, you know, because of COVID is not there. The mm -hmm. rehearsal process is not there. You know, that sometimes you get to, um, you know, you just, just get to go off. You get to go on set. You can't go on sets, you know, because then they'd have to clean it all over again and all that. And um, that's the only part I miss. But otherwise, they've been, you know, they've been great. What I love also is that I get to fight on. Every time I'm on this show, I get to fight and I get to have a gun. <laughs> it's America's way. America's way to have a gun, right? <laughs> a lot of guns in daytime. There are a lot, and I've had a few, let me tell you, as a cop. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, oh, that was one of those things I remember, too. And being on all my children, I know I'm now on backtracking, but I, I remember, because um, I've been going over my head lately about all of these things, about uh, this 
poor woman who was killed, you know, and uh, shooting the film. And I wonder how that doesn't happen more, you know, I, but I remember we had a machine gun one time in our show and somebody was shooting it at us and maybe Billy Clyde, it might've been Billy Clyde. And, uh, you know, and they were uh, all these squid things are making holes in, in the set. And I'm thinking, you know, that would never happen where we did, uh, where we were, because people, we looked at the guns, everybody showed everybody the, you know, weaponry and all that. I don't know, maybe people work faster and, and you know, in that kind of situation. But anyway, that made, just made me think of those those days when, you know, we had gunplay. We had gunplay often and earlier in, in all my children, and, and we have gunplay here. And I get to fight, you know, I got, I got to fight last time when I was on this show, and I don't know, mm-hmm. I get to fight this time, but but <laughs> I would probably break my back if I fought. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, the fans reacted pretty happily to your casting. You know, what does it mean to you that there are Derek fans out there who are excited to see you in a new role? Did they? I didn't even see. I wish I had seen. That is nice. It's really nice. I mean, because I remember being, you know, I used to do a lot of these softball games, running around the mm-hmm. charity softball games. Yep. I just remember the days of our lives, fans, were like L.A. Raider football <laughs> 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 They were just ravenous. You know, they were there all the, you know, they were like, wow, those people are crazy (laughs) in a good way, you know? Right, right. So, um, yeah, I think it's great, especially, you know, people, and people have said that to me um, who have been fans, you know, about Derek. But Derek is so different and... Let me tell you, I didn't even, I never liked the name Derek. <laughs> Start there. <laughs> right. They changed the name from Rick. I would have gone with Rick, you know, they changed right. it from Rick to Derek. But um, anyway, and Derek always wore brown. So I don't ever wear brown. Well, that's not true. I do wear brown. But I remember, you know. You're wearing show, brown. You're wearing brown right now, sir. I know. <laughs> I put it over top of this because this had a design on it that I, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm a brown uh, man in a brown clothes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh oh, so yes no i think it's gratifying thank you mm-hmm. i'm guess i'm gonna stop saying stop talking okay. my wife you know my wife had this she had this little card because i talk too much my wife had this little card she gave me one time and and as i was talking and all the cards said in small print it said stop talking <laughs> I, my mom gave me one of those too. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I took that take that took that advice every day, but I forget. Oh, so funny! That's that okay. so funny. Well, before we let you go, is there anything that you would want to say to the Days fans listening who are uh, just at the precipice of enjoying your returned presence to Salem? Yeah, I just hope I don't let you down. I hope, you know, I you love this guy as much as I do. I wish, you know, there was um I just I, I just hope you love him. You know, I love this guy. He's he's good, he's bad, and he's ugly. <laughs> what could be better? He what could check be out all the boxes. Exactly. <laughs> well, we definitely look forward to seeing what's ahead for TR. I know there's going to be a lot of drama in that family. So I think it's going to be fantastic. I hope everybody tunes in. And we thank you so much for your time today and all your stories. Stephanie, and for sharing Laura, them. thank you so much for having me. It's been great talking with you. Well, thank you so much, William. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Mara. You guys thank are you. Awesome. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to William Christian for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.